Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. So the first week of this series, we realized that, that everybody has a dream and everybody has a destiny and you have this desired outcome for your life, but God, he has a destiny for your life. And God's plans are always going to exceed our ability to dream. And I told you that your destiny is, is greater than your dream. God had to mature Joseph in, into his destiny and, and, and we too must allow God to mature us into our destiny. And I think that we corporately as a church, God has certainly done that and continues to do that in and through us, and he does it in our individual lives also. Then last week, last week we continued our journey with Joseph as he visited his brothers and they threw him into a pit and they sold him into slavery. And I told you that the pit stop is necessary as it gets you ready for the next leg of the race. You've got to go through the pit. And, and Joseph was getting closer to his dream, and he didn't even realize that he was getting closer to his dream. And, and I, I, I reminded you of this. You can't rule the known world from a small, remote settlement in Canaan. You have to get to Egypt. In that day and age, you have to get to Egypt. And God was getting him closer to his dream, and he probably didn't even realize it. Back in 2006, just a few weeks before we moved to Newberry, Mandy and I had the, the great privilege of flying into Chicago and driving over to Culver, Indiana, in, in southern Indiana. And the reason why we went to Culver, Indiana is because there was a, a young lady from our youth ministry, and she was graduating from Culver Academy. Culver Academy is a military academy where she would go every summer uh, for about six weeks and uh, she had formed friendships with, with people from all over the world. I know there was a princess from Jordan that was one of her roommates. And so people would come in from all over the world uh, to, to be there. And, and just, just so you know, a few notable Culver graduates, um, the, the late, great uh, George Steinbrenner that owned the Yankees, uh, he was a graduate of Culver. Um, the, the famed movie critic Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert, um, he was a graduate of, of, of Culver. Also, the... the racing icon and CEO of Penske Corporation, Roger Penske. He was, he was a graduate of Culver and, um, and one that absolutely doesn't fit. Uh, country music star Dirks Bentley graduated from Culver. And I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, I guess they needed entertainment, right? Not even good entertainment. But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> we were amazed at the, at the learned discipline of the students that were attending and, and the behavior that we saw in these young people. It was just amazing, especially the girl that we were there uh, to support because she was an only child and uh, a lot of stuff in life had been handed to her. We love her dearly and she's turned into an amazing young woman. As a matter of fact, now she's 31 years old. She's a reporter for the Associated Press and just last week, she left for boot camp at 31 years old, and she's married, and she just left for boot camp. And I'm just going, what are you doing? But, but her and her mom have, have always been very adventurous. But it, it just did something in her life, this camp. I mean, it was like after six weeks, she was a different young lady. I watched her as, as she was part of the equestrian track of this, and, and I watched her as she managed the horse and took care of the horse and, and showed us all around the stable and it was just, it was an amazing accomplishment to see her transformation. 
And during the closing ceremonies, um, it, it did not disappoint because there were young men and young women that, that they marched in formation, they displayed confidence and pride, and, and we watched as they would salute their officers. And, and after the closing ceremony, Mandy went with this girl and her mom to pack up her dorm, pack up her room, and get everything ready for us to travel home. I had to preach the next morning in Tampa, at our church in Tampa, and so I retreated back to the car pulled out my laptop, and, and as they're packing up her room, I decided I was just going to study. I was just going to work on my sermon for the next morning. And, and so I was, I was studying, and, and that's when this young cadet comes walking towards my car. Now, parked right next to us, there was this black SUV. It, was, it, it had to have been just detailed. This thing was just pristine. It was black, dark black tinted windows, black rims. This thing was murdered out, man. This thing looked amazing. And uh, I watched as this young cadet, he came walking towards the, the car, and, and he stopped. He did not know I was sitting in the car. He stopped, and, and he looked into the window of, of this black SUV. And I watched as this, this young man, he... he he straightened his shirt and his tie. He straightened his hat. And he's, he's looking into the window, and nobody rolls the window down, and he's, he's, he's just making sure that he's... And that's when he puts his heels together, hands by his side, and he salutes. And then it hit me what he was doing. He was saluting his reflection. This young man saw something in himself that nobody else could see. He was already picturing the day that he was climbing the ranks. That one day he would be an officer and someone else would have to salute him. And as he stood there looking at his reflection, he could see what, what we could not see and that's a dreamer, friend, someone that can see what has not yet transpired, but they believe that it will. And I was, I was just amazed at this young man's mentality. At the risk of sounding like a motivational speaker, I, I'm convinced that before we can reach the next level, that we must first operate like we're already there. Oh, I know, I'm losing some of you right now. I'm going to give you some scripture with this. This is not a motivational speech, okay? I promise you. But in order to, to reach the next level, you've got to learn to operate like you're already there. If you want to be the best player on the team, then you've got to practice like you already are the best player on the team and like the team is depending on you to win. If you want to be mom of the year, then act like you already are mom of the year. Men, if you want your children to give you the world's best dad coffee mug, then start acting like the world's best dad and maybe you'll get the coffee mug. And if you want to be an executive tomorrow, you've got to dress like one today. Oh, I'm losing you right now, right? You're like, man, that, you just went way too motivational with that, right? If you want to be an executive tomorrow, you've got to dress like one today. As the pastor is in faded jeans on stage. I just thought about it. I was like, you don't look the part today, right? It's not about status. It's about respect. And if you want others to respect you, then you've got to first respect yourself enough. Some say fake it till you make it. Hey, I've even used that before. Fake it till you make it. No, it's more like be it and you will achieve it. And I have scripture to back that up for you. Be it and you will achieve it. In Proverbs 23 and 7, it says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. 
As he thinks in his heart, so is he. So, so how you see yourself is how you will become. So act like you already are who you want to be. I know that, that, that we're not a mega church. I understand that. I really, really don't have a desire, okay? Um, I have a hard time just dealing with you. So, um, <laughs> but, but per capita, per capita, taking our population into account, we are a very successful church. Destiny Community Church, from all the, the, the standards that are set, we, 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 we look like we're a very successful church. And I'm not going to apologize for that. If, if you're here today and you're like, I don't like big churches and all that, I'm not apologizing for our growth. God adds to the church daily those who are being saved. If you don't like it, take it up with him. But, but I had a God-given dream, and by his grace, we have been blessed, and God has moved us towards that. But don't think for one second, church, that we just arrived at this. Okay? It, it just didn't happen because, you know, we, we rubbed the, the, the lamp, and a genie popped out, and I said, hey, I want to be a successful church. You know, it doesn't work like that. We understood that we had to operate at the next level in order to reach the next level. And so things had to be done with excellence. And so from day one, I, I looked at any volunteer. At first, I was the only one on staff at this church, and I looked at every volunteer, and I said, don't you dare write a handwritten sign and put it anywhere because that's not next level. Well, I thought somebody was about to start clapping. I think they just dropped something, but... I looked at him and I said, it, it's not next, it doesn't present as, as professional. It doesn't, it doesn't look good. So, so we don't do handwritten signs. If you ever write a handwritten sign around this church and I see it, I will walk by, tear it down, and apologize later. No, I'll tear it down and wait for you to apologize to me because you put up a handwritten sign and that's not our best for the kingdom of God. Amen? You be it and you will achieve it. So at every level of our church, we've had to develop a mentality to start operating at the next level because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so when you start operating, man, this is good advice for all of you. It does sound like a motivational speech, doesn't it? I want to get out of this. I want to preach, okay? When we last saw Joseph, when we last saw Joseph, his brothers had thrown him into a pit and sold him into slavery. They also covered his robe of many colors and, and animal blood, and, and they convinced their <clears throat> they, excuse me, they convinced their father that he had been killed by a wild animal. And so I want to pick it up today at Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39 verses, uh, um, I'm going to read a lot of verses here. So I'm going to start with verse 1. Genesis 39, starting with verse 1. Just leave your Bibles open for the duration of this, and, um, and you'll thank me later, okay? Genesis 39, verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders... He was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. Potiphar made him his personal attendant. This is not assistant manager, assistant regional manager. This is the assistant to the regional manager. You know, you're not quite there, but you're almost there. I remember. 
right out of high school. I graduated when I was 17 years old because I'm brilliant. And, um, or I started school at four. It's one or the other. I can't remember which one it was. But I graduated high school when I was 17, and um, I was playing in a band, and things were, we were, things were trying to take off. It was a Christian band, and we, things were trying to take off. So I started working at a, at, at a uh, grocery store, Foodland of Lake City. Started working at Foodland just to, to make ends meet, you know, because the band wasn't paying much or anything. And so, and so I, I was working at this grocery store, and I, they hired me to be a stock boy. Now, the, the grocery store was so small that stock boys were also the cart boys and bag boys and anything else we had to do. And so you'd be stocking your shelf, you know, getting your inventory put up on the shelf, and you would hear them call you over the intercom. It means they need help. Either go get shopping carts or come bag groceries and that kind of thing. So we kind of did it all there. But I, I remember I had the canned vegetable aisle. That was my aisle. They put me in charge. So every, every uh, Tuesday and Friday when the truck would come in, uh, they would unload the pallets and, and, and they would place my pallet there and, and I was in charge of stocking the shelves in, in, in on the aisle three, the, the canned vegetable aisle. And Man, I took pride in it. I did. I took pride in it. They showed me what it, a, a, a good blocked aisle, if you don't know what that is, you've never worked in a grocery store, you never worked retail, they showed me what a good blocked aisle looks like, how all the, the labels for all the cans are turned, you know, facing the customer. And so I would walk that aisle 20 times a day, turning cans, making sure the labels are facing the customer, rotating stock, bringing the back forward, and, 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 and making it look like the shelf is full. You know, I mean, I, just, I was a master at this, guys. I was a really good canned vegetable aisle overseer. I mean, I was amazing. No title with it, but I was good at it. And my manager started noticing he started saying things in front of other employees about, man, you guys, you need to go look at Rocky's Isle because it looks really good. It looks really good. And they hated me because mine did look good and theirs didn't. But it's easier to block canned goods than it is bread. I'm just telling you, it's easier to make it look good. So I just, I mean, I took pride in it. Well, one day the manager walked up to me. I was 18 now. I turned 18 and he walked up to me and he said, Rocky, I want to make you the frozen food and dairy manager. 18 years old, I'm going to be managing three or four men that were older than me, but yet he, he saw something in me and he said, I want you to be the frozen food and dairy manager. And man, I tackled that and I went in there and I was just like, this is what you know, I'm called to do, man. This is, this is you know, God has anointed me to, to, to do this, to work in a grocery store. If you work in a grocery store, there's no, no, no shame in that at all. I'm telling you, I was good at what I was doing and I started climbing the ranks and before you knew it, man, I was in that assistant manager kind of category there. It was, it was great, it was great. God has to be able to trust your stewardship of where he has you before he takes you closer to your destiny. Somebody needs to hear this right now. Listen to me. We're moving closer to our destiny. Amen? Somebody say, it's my destiny. We're moving closer to our destiny. And wherever God has you right now, you block it to the glory of God. You straighten it like, like you're doing it unto God. You sweep like you're doing it to God. 
Whatever God has you doing right now, you teach like you're doing it to the glory of God. You nurse, you doctor, you lawyer, you do whatever you have to do, but do it to the best of your ability because when you conquer that, when you get that in here and you start acting it out here, God's going to promote you to the next step of the calling that he has in your life, but he's got to be able to trust your stewardship to get you there. Man, when I was a youth pastor, I treated the church like I was the lead pastor, not undermining the pastor. No, he knew that, that I was there to support him. But man, when it was my turn, I wanted to lead with integrity. I wanted to make sure, listen, listen, there's, there's this, I've, I've got to speak at a church tonight, and um, I know what happens. I don't have any idea what I'm preaching tonight, but you've got this handful of messages that you go to, and you, you pull them out because it, they're like your best. It's like you, every pastor's got their top 10. And so it's like, I don't have to study for these. You know, I just pull it off and, you know, you don't need notes for it. You know, you just, you make it happen. Well, it was my turn to preach on Sunday mornings when I was a youth pastor. I learned very quickly, don't you get up there and just present the best that you presented last Wednesday night or, or the best youth message that you've preached at youth camps or wherever else because it's usually going to bomb with a bunch of adults. So I would actually hit my knees. Get this. This, this, is, this is unprecedented. I would hit my knees and pray. God, what would you have me speak to this church? Just like I was the lead pastor. God, what would you have me speak? Because I wanted to be a good steward of what was put under my responsibility. And when you are a good steward of the place where God has you, then and only then are you ready for the next step of your journey towards your destiny. You gotta be faithful to the job that he has given you. You gotta be faithful to the boss that he has put over you. You've gotta be faithful with someone else's gain. Faithful with someone else's gain. Verse 5. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Don't miss that. The Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph, with Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. In other words, Potiphar didn't have a worry in the world except what he was going to make his sandwich with. He only had to worry about the food that he, whatever he wanted for his next meal is the only thing that he had to worry about. And he put Joseph in charge of everything else. And church, this is how you know that you're operating in God's plan for your life when others are blessed because of their proximity to you. More about that next week, okay? I don't want to dive into that too, too, too early, but, but just know that the Lord blessed Potiphar's household because of Joseph's sake. Verse 6, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. When Joseph was there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. I told you, he reminds me of myself. And, and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. So Potiphar's wife is coming on to him. Verse 8, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. 
She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work, and she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her, ran as he, in her hand as he ran from the house. In other words, he took off so quickly that he, he just kind of shed the, the, the coat that he was wearing, just left it behind. The guy can't keep a coat on, right? I mean, his brothers take his coat, Potiphar's wife takes his coat, and, and he's gone. He, he gets out of Dodge, which, by the way, sexual sin is the only sin that, that the Bible talks about that, 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 it, that you're not supposed to face it head on. Another sin, you can confront sin face to face. You can deal with your sin. Sexual sin is the one that says flee sexual immorality. Don't you play around with that. The devil has a stronghold in people's lives with that. And so you better flee. You better run as fast as you can. And Joseph had this in his head. I cannot, I cannot be tempted with this. I've got to get out of here. My pastor that I worked for in Tampa, he traveled out of town one Sunday, when he was gone, often I was, I was the, the, the fill-in speaker. And he was gone one Sunday, and, and I got up and I preached a message. And I don't remember what I preached. You, you would think that I would, but I have no idea what I preached that day. But I do remember this. The crowd was eating out of my hands. I mean, it was just a good day. They laughed at the jokes. You could take some hints from that, you know. They laughed at the jokes. They cried. I mean, it just felt like we, we had a connection, you know. Me teaching them, them receiving the word, man, it was just like, wow, man, what a great day. And it was during that time that I, I was feeling God to, to, to lead us to plant a church. Within two years after me preaching that, we, we planted this church. And, and, and I'll never forget, I, I, I just came off the platform that day. And, and I, the only thing I can tell you is that it, it was just, and somebody's going to judge me for this, but it's just a spiritual like high is what it is. I mean, forgive me if that's the wrong choice of word. But, but I mean, it was just this adrenaline that's just happening when, you, when the pastor walks off the platform and you know that you, you've presented God's word with authority and people received it. It was just a good day. It was a good day. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you haven't. But it was a good day. And, and, and I walked off the platform. And, and at the end of service, when everyone was dismissed, I left the front uh, row here. And, and I walked on the side aisle in that sanctuary. And, I, and, and an old man caught me about halfway back. I'm not going to say his name. He, he's still living. And... Um, he looked at me and he said, Pastor Rocky, man, what a great sermon. And I said, well, thank you. He said, man, you are going to make a great pastor. And I thought, man, I am. I am going to make a great pastor. You're right. He said, if you were the pastor of this church. Oh, everything was fine up until that moment. You see, this man was known. He was, he was a very rich old man. And he was known to invest in well-known preachers and pastors and even some televangelists. And we're getting ready to plant a church. I need this guy on my side. But he looks at me and he says, if you were the pastor of this church. And I had to stop him. 
I called him by name and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, David Nitz is the pastor of this church. And he's my pastor. And wherever this conversation is about to go, it doesn't need to go there. And I excused myself from the conversation and I turned around and I walked and I went backstage and cried. Because that's how the enemy will get you. When pride starts setting in, and man, you don't think it was pride that was messing with me when I came off that platform? When pride starts setting in, the enemy will come to you and he'll start saying, you deserve this. We, we find this in 2 Samuel chapter 15 where Absalom, the son of David, the son of King David, Absalom, he, he's got people telling him, if you were the king, you would do a better job than your dad. And, and, and he would stop at nothing, even to destroy his father trying to take the kingdom away from him. If you're king, and, and, and he even says that if I was king, I would be a better judge over, over the things that you need people making decisions. Your lawsuits against each other, I would be a better judge over that if I was the king. And man, if the enemy can convince you of that, you'll betray the ones who, who have put that authority in your hands. You'll betray the ones who have blessed you with the opportunity to serve and the opportunity to work. That Absalom spirit, man, I'm telling you, I have watched it. I've watched it uh, uh, divide churches. I've watched it divide households. I've watched it divide businesses and marriages and friendships. That Absalom spirit is alive. And, 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 and if you don't, don't immediately, immediately, as Barney Fife used to say, nip it in the bud. You gotta nip it in the bud right away. You can't entertain that. It all comes down to integrity. How will I steward what God has put into my care? And Joseph's integrity hangs in the balance in this moment. Verse 13. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away but he left his cloak behind with me. She's got evidence, false evidence, but she's got evidence. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. Man, it's one of the worst feelings. You know it. Don't try to read anything into this because we all feel this. When you have poured your heart out and you, you've poured your life out to serve someone and to be there for someone and, 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 and to do everything you can to try and be a good friend to them, but then all of a sudden they stab you in the back. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. You raised them and they stabbed you in the back. You were there when their family member died and they stabbed you in the back. You know what I'm talking about. It's one of the worst feelings when you've invested so much time and energy into someone for, for them to believe lies and to make up false accusations against you. 
Joseph finds himself in, in that place. Listen, church, if you reach the pit that we talked about last week, if you reach the pit by betrayal, you reach the prison by seasons of injustice. And man, what a prison it is. And injustice, it's that undeserved lack of fairness that is placed upon your life. An undeserved lack of fairness. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It just happened. And it's, it's an injustice. The best way for me to explain it is kind of like this. I remember when you were a kid and, and, and you had chores. And, and, and if you were one of those people that had siblings... And, and you kind of had a chore chart or you had, you know, different responsibilities. And, and maybe Mondays was your day to take out the trash and Tuesday was your brother's day and, you know, Wednesday was your sister's day or to wash the dishes or whatever it was. And you did it on your day, but then the next day rolls around and your mom or your dad look at you and they go, no, 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 I need you to wash the dishes or I need you to take out the trash. And you're like, but wait, 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 I did that yesterday. Today it's... Billy's, Billy's turn today. It's not my turn. It's Billy's turn. No, no. I said it's your turn. You take out the trash. You wash the dishes. And suddenly, as a child, you find yourself in a season of injustice. You don't deserve it. You didn't ask for it. But it's there. It's a season of injustice. Joseph didn't deserve what was placed upon him. Life wasn't fair. You didn't deserve what was placed upon your life. You didn't deserve that demotion at work. You didn't deserve to be overlooked for the promotion at work. You didn't deserve for the transmission to go out or for the AC to stop working. You didn't deserve that. You didn't do anything, but it just happens and, and it drains everything. You didn't deserve to be walked out on, but they left you anyway. And, and this is the mystery that sometimes I think, I think gets us in trouble in our minds. It's because we have this, this promise of, of, you know, life is going to go smooth when I give my heart to Christ. Or, or man, if I just, you know, pay my tithe, then, then everything's got to go just right. And there's promises with that. Don't get me wrong. There's promises with salvation. There's promises with tithing. All of that, all of that works. But what happens when it does it? Well, I've paid my tithe, but... But, man, it feels like the pests are devouring my crops. I can't keep this stupid car running. What do I do? When you find yourself facing a season of injustice, you didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to cause it. But it was bestowed upon you anyway. Joseph was faithful to what was put in his care. And a lie, a false accusation still came against his life and he was thrown into prison. Guess what? It's not good English, but it's true. Life ain't fair. Life's just not fair. Eternal life is fair. But here, sometimes bad things happen to good people. 
Sometimes we don't have the answers and we certainly have to go through things that we don't deserve. Solomon, Solomon said it like this in Ecclesiastes 9 and 11. He said, I also saw other things in this life that were not fair. The fastest runner does not always win the race. The strongest soldier does not always win the battle. He said, wise people don't always get the food and smart people don't always get the wealth. Educated people don't always get the, the praise they deserve. When the time comes, bad things can happen to anyone. Can anybody relate with that today? In John 16 and 33, Jesus, Jesus said it like this. He says, here on earth, on this earth, he said, you will have many trials and sorrows. He said, but, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's that eternal life part that I'm telling you about. We'll get there. But in this life, it's just rough sometimes. And it's undeserved. And it's an injustice. But buckle up, dreamer. Someone listen to me. Life is not always easy. But when you're faithful, it's always rewarding. It's not always an easy road to success. Success in the kingdom of God doesn't necessarily look like success in the kingdom of this world. But when you find yourself in his will, when you find yourself operating in his plan, you will overcome this world. Genesis 39, verse 21. And this is probably the most important verse that I could share with you today. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. Somebody hear that. He was with him in the pit. He's with him in the prison. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Man, I mean, Andy Duchesne right there, right? Made him a, a favorite with the prison warden. But before long, the, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. He is a prisoner. And like everybody else in prison, he's innocent. But this guy really is innocent. Church, trust me. If God can show you the dream, then he can sustain the dream whether you're in a pit, a palace, or a prison. If God can show you the dream, he can sustain the dream. And if he can sustain the dream, then God can satisfy the dream. And, and there's not a prison that, that, that you will find yourself in that, that will be able to hold back God's destiny for your life. Maybe you feel right now like, that you're behind bars or, or, or you're chained up or, or you can't move, you, you can't function. It doesn't matter what prison you find yourself in because when God gets ready to move you from that prison, God is going to bring the promise to pass. And, and when God brings the promise to pass, it will be greater than the dream that you first started off with. I remember the last payment that we made on a two-door Jeep that I had. I had a 97 Jeep Wrangler two-door Jeep. And I remember that, that longing, that feeling that I had when I walked into the credit union, GTE Federal Credit Union, and I walked in there with my checkbook in my hand and the little coupon for that last payment. And I walked up to the counter 
and I've squared my shoulders back. If I'd have had a t-shirt or a hoodie or something that said, it's my destiny, I'd have worn it that day. I would have walked in there with it on and been, I mean, just full of pride, and I walked up to that counter. I looked at her and said, I'm here to make my last payment. I remember I started signing it, writing that check out. I waited till I got there. Dramatic effect. And when I signed my name, I signed my name like I was signing the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) Because it was. It was a declaration of independence that I don't owe you anything anymore. Give me my title. It now belongs to me. And if I had that kind of satisfaction with paying off a 1997 Jeep Wrangler, how much more satisfaction will your God have when he moves you into the destiny that he has for your life? God has never been shaken by your pit. He's never trembled because you were a slave. He's never been fearful for the moment when the door slammed shut and now you were behind bars. None of that scared God. Because God God knows all along, man, he's got a, a God's eye view of your life. And he sees from above and he sees every pothole and every roadblock and every detour and and he sees all of that. But none of that is going to change the fact that when God wants to move you from point A to point B, the promise, the, the destiny that he has for you, none of this stuff in the middle is going to deter his plan. And we're just a few verses away from watching this be played out in Joseph's life. But I promise you, what God did in his life, God wants to do in your life. You may feel like you're behind bars, you're in shackles, you're in prison. But God is there with you. And if you will allow him to, if you'll be faithful to the season that he has you in, no matter if it's an injustice or not, if you'll just be faithful to the place where he, and block that aisle. It wasn't the destiny that he had. I had a calling on my life. I wasn't going to be stuck on aisle three, but you know what? I was on aisle three. And I had to do it to the glory of God. I had to make sure that everything that I did represented him wherever you're at. Make sure that you're doing it to the glory of God and watch, watch. Because dreamers dream. And God is about to to use this dreamer, Joseph, in a prison cell. And when he does, it will forever change the trajectory of his life. Dreamers dream. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. 
For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.